Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on TWIP, HDR, what's it good for? Showing off your assets and Photo Jojo head cheese, Amit Gupta, joins us for an up-close and personal chat. All that and more in this episode of This Week in Photography. And we're back. It's another week of This Week in Photography. And look, I'm at the uh, the controls again. I don't know how this happened, but I'm going to keep riding this horse as long as I can. Um, on the show, we've got uh, some of the usual suspects and a, a not-so-usual suspect. We've got Steve Simon. Steve, where are you, uh, where are you connecting to us from? Uh, New York City, in my room. <laughs> in, just, just in your little room in New York, that's it, huh? Pretty much. Everything's small here in New York. It's it's expensive to get space. Oh, gotcha. It's like $500 for parking a month or something, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. People live in their parking spots, no question. Hey, hey, it's the new the new economy. I know. We've got Aaron Mailer coming in. Aaron, where are you, where are you dialing in from? My usual place in Sweetbriar, Virginia. Sweetbriar. What's the weather like out there? Uh, today about forty degrees. Um, I have electricity. Which I was going to say you're off the grid, right? Are you on the yeah. grid or off the grid? Uh, oh, I'm on the grid, but uh, we had you know everybody following me on Twitter knows that I want snow, and instead we got crappy ice, so we lost our power for thirty nine hours. Sweet Briar sounds like Shangri La. Yeah. It? Well, it is in a way. What a great name! Yeah, it's like Pleasantville. Come down here and visit, Steve. I, I I want to. I want to. Yeah, cool. We've got Ron Brinkman dialing in from one of two places. Which of them, Ron? <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Have you ever seen the movie The Mist? <laughs> <laughs> so you got zombies coming in at night to take your people Nothing away? outside the window but gray. That was oh. it. That was my morning. I literally thought somebody had just painted my window gray because wow. I could see nothing. And I've got a good view of the city, and I, I you know... 10-foot visibility here in Seattle. Wow. You, you could be at Lisa's house, I suspect, because I imagine <laughs> it's similar over there. How's the weather up there? Hi, Lisa. Uh, hello. Um, well, you know, I, I can see a little bit further. I can see to the uh, the tree in front of my place. Um, it's not, I mean, when I woke up, there was like a little bit of light, and I was, I was happy. Just a little bit. <laughs> Just to light up my computer screen and we're all good you guys out there it's kind of like living in a cave isn't it for most of the year (laughs) don't see a lot of light i mean i know it's beautiful but it's dark yeah i mean even between where you know where where i live in la versus up here there's an hour's difference right now over an hour's difference in terms of the amount of daylight and you know you notice it definitely wow I'm happy with my little Northern California, you know, slightly close to the coast location. I don't know if I could deal with that. You know, although Seattle, you know, I am a, I'm a coffee fiend, so you know, I would I would that would sort of cut the uh, the weather negativity for me. All right, let's get started. We are started. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it's, All right, it's John Dvorak, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get the the, the the linking contest thing. So uh, if we have a little linking contest going on, so if you link to twipphoto.com, you could possibly win a prize package containing three of Scott Bourne's 88 Secrets books. Or, I, missed that, uh, I missed that lug. 
<laughs> or or one one free year of premium subscription to lynda.com, which is awesome. I was on that late last night. And also the Aperture Nature Photography Contest contest is offering $3,500 worth of prizes to each photographer who uh, wins a trip to what? One of four? What? That, that doesn't make sense, Aaron. What is that? $3,500 worth of prizes to each photographer who wins a trip to one of four national U.S. parks. What is that? Hey, you that get all sense. the prizes and you get the all-expense-paid trip and the next one's at Yellowstone National Park. Yeah. Are so, you going to that one, Steve? Oh, I don't know. I would love to. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Are, are you going to go? I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> entirely sure at this point. This is like if I'm invited, I will go. Right? <laughs> exactly. Hint, hint, hint Mr. <laughs> but what's not to say yes about? I mean, it's a national park. It's Yellowstone. Granted, they've had some seismic activity, mm. but, you know, what are the odds? Mm. That's cool. So, Steve, <laughs> Better picture. Steve, just quickly uh, on that, that workshop or the, the just the overall workshop, what do you do? Like, a day. What's a day in the life, quickly, of, yeah. of one of those events? I know, I know Lisa was at one of them. I've been fortunate to be at two of them. I mean, it is a fantastic time because it's a, a very intimate crowd in that there are four professionals and four students. And what we're doing is, if we're not shooting, we're talking about pictures, we're learning aperture. Um, it's just a, a real kind of intense bubble that we're in for the three days, waking up, you know, before sunrise, go into these amazing locations, capturing what we can as the light sort of, you know, then go for breakfast. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, an immersion into both, you know, nature photography and learning um, aperture. Very cool. I think one of the cool things is, you know, just having access to those pros as you're doing it. So you're, everyone sets up together and then it's sort of like, oh, you know, people can ask questions. What do I do? How do I get the best shot? Or they, maybe they haven't done a panorama before. So there's someone there to sort of take them through those steps. And then even like with the processing after, you know, learning aperture and then sort of learning how to take a picture to where they want it. Very cool. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> we've got a new podcast, our new email for the for the podcast. It's called twippodcast.com, T-W-I-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at gmail.com, twippodcast at gmail.com. So, you know, there, we've got a ton of news in here that I wanted to jump into, the first of which is, um, you know, I wish Alex was on the show today, because this is something that he's been ranting and complaining about for at least three years here. <laughs> and that's the, the Nikon or the availability of a SDK or software development kit for Nikon cameras. And it, uh, it looks like Nikon, there's a, we're going to put a, a link in the show notes, but it looks like Nikon has already made available an SDK, a limited SDK, but there's an SDK available. Aaron, Aaron do you know anything about that? Or have you, have you read deeper into that? Uh, not a whole lot. Just that uh, that the SDK is available uh, to a greater degree than people suspected, um, and the the link that we'll have in there, the the blog that I pulled this off of, um, discusses the fact that uh, whoever discovered it or kind of brought this to light to other people um, had been using the SDK and was doing something in the way of recording video with his uh, D seven hundred. So uh, that that was that a revelation. <laughs> that was a revelation. But is this not sort of a an underground kind of thing? It's not like Nikon has opened its arms and 
is encouraging well, everybody to play. Yeah, it does, yeah, they may not be encouraging it because it we don't even know when this sort of appeared, but obviously the fact that it's even available is a change from where they were at at one point where everything was locked down. And I, now I said it before, but I just can't see why these companies don't do this in an even bigger way. You know, they, they make, they're making hardware. Put it out there and let people do the software, and ultimately you increase the value of the, uh, the system. Yeah, it's an, it's an official SDK, though. It's not like some underground hack. You know, it's put out by Nikon, so, you know, it's, uh, it's legitimate. Yeah, so uh, D700 video capabilities, I mean, it, it I guess shows That's that obviously... Yeah, that is a hack, but, but you know, I, I think we'll probably see uh, a lot more of that stuff come in, um, in future, future products, I would imagine. So, yeah. And it's, it's important to kind of make the distinction of what that means by the video stuff. So it's, it's not setting it up. So, you know, there's not some secret thing you can do to suddenly get video recording capabilities. It's, a, it's basically a way of getting the data off the, what's going to the uh, HDMI output, I think, or to the LCD. But it's a very sampled down, kind of like what we talked about, what I thought was going on last week. Um, very, you know, poorly sampled down thing. So it's not going to be gorgeous video, but still it's an interesting sort of step in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Ryan. It's not the this the availability availability of this SDK is not like you're going to be jailbreaking your Nikon camera and and doing all sorts of weird stuff with it. So the next thing up is the uh there's a <laughs> this is the funniest thing in the world. There's a new proposed law to require camera phones to click. So to make an audible <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Camera Phone, the camera phone uh, Predator Alert Act, which will require any mobile phone containing a camera, a digital camera, to sound a tone whenever a photograph is being taken. You know, so I just want to put that out. Lisa, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, um, I guess, uh, I don't know. I guess it's a good thing for possible stalkers, people. <laughs> and... Uh, if you're close enough for them to hear the click and they haven't covered up the speaker on their phone. <laughs> yeah. And the click means it's, it's already been taken. So, <laughs> it's dumb. I'm going to just come out and say this is dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have to agree with the curmudgeon there. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it, you know, it's just some somebody thinking, oh, I don't know a lot about this stuff, but if we made it click... But I, you know, I, I will say somebody on Twitter after I, I twittered about this and and uh, complained about how stupid it was. I will say that the same senator that's trying to introduce this bill actually has also put out a bill to reduce um, uh, spam telemarketing phone calls. So I can't completely hate him. He's sort of you know doing good and evil at the same time. What would make more sense is if you actually took the picture instead of like a, a beep, it sort of said danger, danger, or something <laughs> bad to really warn people. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> well, Aaron, <clears throat> Aaron was pointing out with the uh, with the iPhone, uh, you can just cover up the bottom. What is it? The left speaker or the left hole on the bottom, and it just completely yeah. mutes the thing. So even though it does make a click, you can't hear it. There's been plenty of times when I was wondering why my iPhone wasn't making any noise, and because it was just you know pressed enough against my hand mm -hmm. that it's just utterly muted at that point. So yeah, I have that problem when I'm playing video games on my phone. My iPhone, I can't you know where's my where's my explosion sound and you know it's... there ought to be a law against holding it wrong to mute the sound too. You can <laughs> throw that. <one. laughs> well, uh, can you just turn down the volume anyways? I mean, how are they going? 
Well, I think the guidelines here is that there's supposed to be exceptions in the software that, you know, even if your sound is disabled or all the way down, the camera click would be full volume or something along those lines. Yeah. So it's part we of the absurdity of the law. You should actually ban Leica rangefinders altogether. You can hardly hear those things. Yep. Yeah. And, well, you know, I think uh, every every government surveillance video camera needs to make sure that it's clicking every time it takes a picture, too. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So the world will be filled with clicks everywhere you walk. That's all you'll hear, you know, especially in the airport. So uh, next up is some sad news for the uh, the cannon shooters, uh, which is what a good fifty percent, maybe more, of uh, of the TWIP team here. Um, <clears throat> they reported an eighty-one point five percent fall in quarterly profits as a, yeah. as a deepening recession hit demand for cameras and office equipment. And it forecast a bigger than expected profit decline for 2009. So, yeah. what we really don't know about that, because we do know that Canon is kind of a huge company compared to Nikon, which doesn't quite, um, you know, it's not as big, not as not in many, in as many different uh, pools as Canon is. So we don't really know the photo end of things per se. Obviously, it, it's probably not good news, but. But maybe the photo sector of Canon wasn't quite as bad as the rest of the company. It's pretty much in line with the rest of the world though, right now. I mean, it's not not a surprise that these numbers are way down. I think Intel's number, profitability numbers are down you know, over 90%. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just okay, systemic overall, right? I mean, every it's it's down everywhere. Just, you know, I wonder... It, you know, is is Canon just an indication of the arrow overall, or you know, <laughs> you know, or in other words, we're going to see a report from Nikon soon saying the same exact thing. I think Nikon's already come out and said you know something a little bit similar, but yeah, I mean, you know, we just have to kind of keep moving forward, and hopefully uh, things will start to to turn around. Yeah, well, keep shooting, was, right? Was there anything said about uh, the different? sort of um, categories like they they cover so many different um, products was it just overall well uh, I don't know Aaron did it say anything overall I'm reading here it says cameras and office equipment but you know that's pretty broad yeah (laughs) that's basically everything they make right yeah there wasn't much breakdown in in what I saw yeah yeah Yeah, I I think we reported some weeks ago in another episode, I'll look back in our show notes, that that Canon had kind of warned people that general camera sales were expected to be down this year. So it probably falls in line with all of that. Yeah. Well, Nikon's had a strong, strong year this year. Have they? Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm asking. I'm not. I'm not challenging. I'm asking. <laughs> I try not to look at that stuff. You know, <laughs> you have numbers. Yeah, give me yeah. some numbers, Lisa. Come on. I don't have numbers, but just the general attitude towards towards Nikon. I mean, because you're moving, know. you're moving their stock right now. You know, people are listening to it and they're like, "Oh, I got to buy Nikon." Lisa said it's doing well. Turn, I'm watching, <laughs> watching the graph. It's going up. <laughs> Next up, uh, Lisa on CNBC. Look at that. <laughs> oh come on! I'm just saying in in general the like the amount of people who are, who have switched over to Nikon and um, you know with the the 50D 5D Mark II yeah. sort of um, you know filling a little bit of the gap, but then the D90 sort of coming up in the lower end and Canon not having a response to that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's a, it's 
09, the 09 in, in, in 2010, we'll start seeing a lot of, hopefully we'll see some innovation. You know, I think the, the 5D Mark II was the line in the sand. And for both companies in terms of, you know, will this video, this HD video thing take off and do people actually want it? Um, I think the D90 with its with its video support was sort of, you know, shaking in the, in Canon shadow. And hopefully, you know, we'll see something like, what is it, Steve, a D3X2 or something come out with... <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's anything in Obama's stimulus package for the camera manufacturers. <laughs> You know, a more serious note, you kind of wonder, you know, with the economy as it is, you know that the brilliant minds that are creating this stuff are going to continue to astound us, but how does the economy affect uh, the advancement of what we've become so used to, and that is just this tremendous uh, growth in in new technology? I I suspect, uh, you know, things are probably going to slow down just because, because they have to, because as great as things are, if people can't afford them, you know, what's the point of bringing them out right now? Yeah, and then what will happen? People will have to use these cameras that they have and actually be creative with them. Oh, no, instead of oh waiting on the, the next feature. Oh, no, I have to go out and actually play with light. You're going to have to take it out of my hermetically sealed camera cozy. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't dream about these 17 features that I've never touched. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a very good point, too. Hey, let's uh, be happy with what we got, and let's get out and use them. Exactly, exactly. Ron, have you have you used uh, you know all the features of your Wizbang camera, or are you just you know the no, aperture right. priority I'm, or manual guy? Uh, exactly. You just shoot. Exactly. I'm sure I haven't. You know, and part of that's because some of them are just stupid. Which ones might those be? Yeah, I know. You know, I was going to ask that, least. <laughs> Ron. What are stupid features on your camera? Uh, well, you know, some of the the all automatic modes that don't let you control uh, anything. Uh, you know, it's sure. They're, actually, they're not that stupid because they are handy whenever you give the camera to somebody else to take your picture. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying when you hand your, your camera to someone that's not as smart as you. <laughs> oh, yeah, stupid, stupid features for stupid people, right? <laughs> you have a lot of pictures of yourself, Ron. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That means he has a lot of stupid friends. <laughs> I think I once took your picture, Ron. I'm not going to go any further with this. You already oh, dug right. your hole, man. Uh, where, and where can people message you, Ron? <laughs> Ron Brinkman on the Twitter. Bring it I'm not afraid of anything. Bring it on. Bring it on. I just, I just, I just saw that Lisa Bentley's following me now. Oh, look at that! Oh, aren't you lucky? Oh. <laughs> now you're a real Twitterer. Yeah. All now right, you, moving on. Now you got to watch what you say, Ron. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Lightroom, Lightroom, Adobe has released Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 2.3. The, at least the release candidate is available. Uh, and it adds support for the D3X, Steve, the camera that Steve's drooling and lusting over, and the uh, Olympus E30. Are you still drooling over that, that D3X, even after all the, the news that you've heard about it? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, again, in the end, uh, you know, all the pixel peeping and all that, you know, when I've, I've just been astounded with, you know, images even on my screen that translate to a beautiful print that I make. Um, a lot of the, the, the negative um, factors you know, that you see disappear on the print. So really it depends on your final um, use for whatever it is you're doing. 
And and I have no qualms that you know maybe you know there's always going to be something better and something worse, but um, you know I, I think it's probably a good idea to sort of maybe you know have an, an understanding of where it is uh, on the the technical scale you know in terms of how it competes to other 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 machines. But but in practical usage, I mean I'm sure it's it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So when are you getting yours? What are you waiting on? Um, I'm waiting for <laughs> Canon's profits to increase and the economy to. I'm waiting for my bailout. You're waiting for your stimulus package. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I'm waiting for mine too. <laughs> uh, also, in that that release candidate, the for Lightroom two three, uh, various bug fixes related to Windows sixty four bit users out there, uh, disk burning and uh, processing of five D Mark two images. So, if you're one of the lucky few. Actually, I got a question for you, Frederick. Do, yeah. do you know the, the sort of the white dots problem? You know, Canon had released something that was a fix to it, but was it re- a release in their raw decoder stuff so that the other, you know, that Adobe effectively had to do something similar, or was it deeper than that? I think it was deeper than that. I think it, it went into the firmware of the camera. Um, I, but, but those artifacts were in the raw file. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so I don't think it was optical. You know, the camera was is flawed optical, you know, so you have to send it in and get another one, but uh, I think they fixed it with, with a firmware update. Um, so yeah, it was nothing to do with the raw, the, the actual raw file itself. Remember, the word was mitigated. <laughs> oh yeah, not fixed. I'm sorry, mitigated. Allegedly <laughs> mitigated. mitigated. <laughs> continues to bug me. <laughs> Allegedly mitigated the uh, the problem. Uh, and then the last thing in the news today, uh, bracket. What is it? Bracket Meister hacks your Canon to shoot big bracket. So I, you know, first of all, this is this is a sort of a homebrew project that was created to allow Canon cameras to shoot. What seven frame brackets with plus or minus uh, two EV, and so Aaron, you want to you want to talk about that a little bit and why it's relevant and why it's a big deal for Canon users? Yeah, this is um, something I picked up on uh, on our friend Christian Block uh, on his website. Um, Christian was on the show back some time ago about uh, HDR imagery, so and this fits right in there with him. Um, it's based on the Ardu- I think Arduino uh, USB board project, which is kind of a you know, for aspiring developers creating hardware hacks and other devices, it's a it's a system to help you design physical hardware um, tools. You know, quite easily and quickly. And uh, basically, I'm I'm gathering this as a, a driver an interface for the camera, um, which will help control the camera for you to expand your bracketing capabilities. So, you know, most of the Canon cameras, and this is where Nikon again has a nice advantage in that, if I'm not mistaken, Steve, isn't it like nine brackets? I believe something like that. Yeah, I um, think so. I'm not entirely sure. It allows you to, you know, to set a very wide range to have the camera, you know, shoot nine shots, for instance, you know, across the bracketing range. And most of the Canon cameras, uh, at least below their highest end models, are usually only three. So, I mean, you could say you want your shot to be, you know, minus two EV dead center and plus two EV and, you know, take those three shots for me. Um, which for HDR shooters is a little bit of a pain because you, you sometimes want to have you know si- significantly more shots taken in quick succession. So I gather this is an external device that you hook up where you uh, program the device to control the camera to expand that EV range, and you can boost it from like three up to like seven brackets with plus or minus two EV, and it doesn't matter what the exposure time is either. So looks like a pretty neat project, um, one I might look into and consider building just for twip to experiment with if nothing else yeah steve steve do you shoot uh bracketed photos a lot do you you find yourself using the bracket mode on your camera 
Uh, no, not so much. I mean, for the stuff that I'm doing, um, you know, I'm, I'm shooting raw. I'm looking at my histogram. I'm shooting sort of one-offs. I'm not mm -hmm. necessarily creating HDRs or any of those kinds of things. I'm not doing that fancy stuff, so, so I don't. But um, I, I, can I, just on a related thing, we talked last week um, a little about um, that David Bergman shot that he did at the inaugural of the, on the, with a gigapan. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And I, I happened to be in a friend's uh, office yesterday, and she had one of those Gigapan things. And apparently, I guess they're not quite available yet, but um, it, it, it obviously seems to work, judging from uh, David Bergman's image. And my understanding is his site has had like two million hits. He's now selling you know, that particular photograph and hopefully making a lot of money. Uh, God bless him. He, and, and I suspect when this thing comes to market, it's, it's going to be really popular. My understanding is that it, it may not cost all that much money. It might be like under 400 bucks. Mm. And it's, it's really simple. You basically put it on the thing and press the button and, and the machine kind of does the rest. You have to define the four corners of where you want this, this large, um, you know, consolidated image to, to be. And the camera and the, and this machine does the rest. So, I think that's kind of exciting. I think we're going to see a lot of of that kind of thing. Coming. Well, Steve, you know, you know, uh, there's one of those units sitting right now in Alex's office, gathering I dust. Did, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that ought to be a bit of a crime too. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to liberate it. <laughs> you better, you better. I'd love to hear what you. I mean, I'm. It'd be a lot of fun to, to try out, wouldn't it? It would. It would, totally. Yeah, and, um, you know, me or, or myself like you, I, I haven't really shot any bracketed shots. I haven't really delved into that area. And if I'm doing, if I'm experimenting with HDR or something, I typically, I'm on manual anyway. I'm going to bracket it myself. Ron, Ron, do you uh, do you bracket, you know, using the, the camera's brains, or do you do it yourself? Um. I, I shoot a lot more than I use <laughs> in the sense that, you know, I mean, again, most of my photography is when I'm traveling. And there, there will be times where I know it's a very high dynamic range scene. And I'll go ahead and toss it into bracket mode just so I sort of grab everything on the chance that, you know, this is the one photo that I'm going to go back in and really tweak out. You know, most of the time you don't. But, uh, you know, storage space is, is cheap. So, yeah, if it's a, if it's a challenging situation where I know it's, a bigger dynamic range than what the sensor is going to be able to catch, then I, I will often turn it on to bracketing and go ahead and shoot off three of them. And a lot of times, you know, you'll get back to, uh, back home and be sorting through it, and you'll look at it, and you're like, you know, the, the center one that I set it to is fine, and I'm not going to bother trying to get a little extra detail out of the shadows or the highlights, but it's, you know, it's kind of an insurance measure if I, if I do decide I wanted to go in and tweak it a little more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Outside of the latitude that having the raw file provides you, so you just have that. Yeah, much exactly. Because the raw file, you know, still only gets you maybe a couple of extra stops up mm -hmm. in the headroom, and you yeah. know, really nothing down in the in the shadows much. So uh, you have to bracket if you've got something that you know. It's that classic scenario of a really bright sunny day with really deep shadows happening because the sun's obscured in places, and you, your camera just can't get all of it. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense, don't you think, guys, that people and maybe ourselves, when we encounter sort of cool sort of landscapes that have a high dynamic range, even if we're not planning tomorrow to use HDR, that it doesn't hurt us to shoot for that. And then maybe three exactly, years yeah. down the road, mm. you can that, That's it. exactly my theory is, you know, keep it around. You never know. And, you know, worst, worst case is you're just out of, you know, a couple of, a couple of megabytes of storage. You know what I wonder? I wonder uh, if, if cameras will get to the 
the level where you don't have to take if you're bracketing three, say you know one up, one down, and one on, that it doesn't have to actually click the shutter three times to take those. How come it can't just you know look at the scene and record it three different ways with one look, you know, with one shutter click? So you just say I want three renditions of this particular scene click the shutter and because you've told it that that light is you know it's already there how come it just can't record it three different ways so yeah there's i mean the problem is you you, you still have a fixed amount of light so you know it part part of the settings that you've set in there are determining how much light you've got in there i mean yeah. there, there's been cameras that do things like trying to use you know a beam splitter to mm-hmm. send the different sensitivity pixels or that kind of thing or there's even uh who was it was it samsung or somebody that had the the sensor that actually had two different types of sensitivity uh, pixels in the sensor, so yeah. they had the stuff that could get the darker stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it makes sense to see that, but they all end up being kind of kludgy, and the the real solution is just come up with a better sensor in the first place. Yeah, Lisa, are you a bracketer or are you a uh, one-off shooter? I I'm gonna say something possibly controversial. Uh-oh. Oh, great. <laughs> um, I honestly think most HDR pictures look really not great. I, I, I th- no, I agree. I, I'm I just you. think they're they look like they're from some fantasy book, you know, like Lord of the Rings, and you know, there's always the. Well, what do you have this, against Lord of the Rings? I like Lord of the Rings, <laughs> but I like my pictures to look like the actual what it actually looked like, not like pink flaming sky and then this, you know, the river stream and the. You know, moss yeah, and they the, do look you know? like illustrations a lot of the time. But I think that's part of the look, though. You know, I think it's you know, uh, well, that's like saying that's like looking at a composite and saying, you know, that looks fake because the moon in general, the moon was yeah. not that big. You know, what, what was that? Aaron? Older people that put too much makeup on, kind of thing. <laughs> it looks sort of okay. Sorry, that's awesome. <laughs> I Go think ahead. it's all in how it's processed. I mean, a, a lot of people use HDR to make very surrealistic images, and from an artistic standpoint, those can be pretty fascinating. But a really well-done HDR image where that's not their goal could you know, create a scene you wouldn't even necessarily think of it or realize as HDR in those terms, but you would be seeing a wider dynamic range in the camera would have captured. So right. I think it's all yeah. in how you're processing the yeah. image, whether your goal is reality or hyper-reality or whatever. So it's like real I, estate. I, I appreciate both, actually. But Like real estate <laughs> photography, for example. You know, you're shooting... Uh, uh, this million dollar house or two million dollar house uh, at dusk and you want the sort of the, the red sky and the, how, the the yard lights to show up but you also want the big bay window that they have in the front to, to not be blown out and you want to see the interior of the house from the outside so you'd have to either merge two exposures or use some sort of HDR technique to get that. It really reminds me of, and you, uh, you guys are probably too young to remember, but sort of when Photoshop was becoming more and more popular, you, you saw all these images that were created with Photoshop using all the crazy filters just because you could, and yeah. they looked kind of weird and stupid, a lot of the stuff, but people were experimenting. I think it's, we're going through that sort of same thing, but there's no question um, the idea of HDR is is fantastic, and if people can tone it down and remember less is more, and you know maybe make it make things a little more subtle, I think we're gonna you know start to see some really incredible images done with it. 
Yeah. I, I mean, for me, you know, getting that bracket information is no different than putting putting a fill flash into the scene, right? It's Absolutely. You don't have enough light in the shadows to get the detail you want, so you can either add extra light while you're shooting it, or you can capture the shadows using a different technique and then put them back in later. There, you know, if you do it right, it shouldn't look artificial any more than, you know, artificial lighting does, putting putting an extra flash strobe into the scene. Yeah. Ultimately, it should look like what your eye saw in the scene. I mean, because your eye has a wider f-stop range, you know, to put it in those terms, and your camera will. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Your your eye will adjust, and and when you look into the shadows, your your iris will shut down a little bit, and and you'll be able to see the detail. And a camera can't do that in in as sort of dynamic a fashion. I have fifty millimeter one point twos. My my eyes. <laughs> Is that why you look so strange? I got it. <laughs> I have a big filter uh, ring around. So, but anyway, yeah, let, Steve's absolutely Steve's absolutely right about the, the the early days of Photoshop. I mean, it's it's not like unlike the early days of desktop publishing when people had nine hundred fonts and they were going to use them all on one page. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you know it's it's all art in the end. You know, to some degree, like like unless you're. Unless you're using HDR to, to represent something that was true, you know, or that you're trying to create a scene and, and pass it off as the real thing, um, I, I think HDR, like you guys are saying, is just another tool in the arsenal for us to use. So That's yeah. probably good advice generally in photography to go too far so then you know that you need to kind of bring it back. But you don't know that until you do go too far. Yeah, because there might be a cliff there. And then what? Okay. <laughs> Alright, there there goes my theory. Thanks. There be monsters. <laughs> yeah. Don't go into the house. Jason's in there. Yeah. Uh so let, let's move on to the picks of the week. Um this is one of my favorite parts of the show. Um and I think I think the first person to go should be the not so frequent guest, Lisa. Lisa, what's your pick of the week? Well, since coming back from Australia and then Macworld in San Francisco, I felt really uninspired. And I don't know whether it has to do with, you know, the fog, (laughs) the mist, (laughs) Uh, or whether it's just, you know, I had so much, so much environmental changes and everything was exciting. And, you know, and coming back home, I'm just sort of, you know, what do I, what do I shoot? And um, so... I've been sort of turning to other photographers for inspiration, and I actually watched a documentary about Annie Leibovitz called Life Through a Lens, and um, it's a really great documentary about her, almost her whole career, and talking about a lot of the her her cover shots and, you know, like with the Rolling Stones and, you know, really sort of getting into... Um, behind the scenes with her and I found it really really inspirational and there's also um, Annie Leibovitz at Work which is a book sort of about her and um, and then another book called uh, A Photographer's Life about um, from 1990 to I guess 2001 her entire something she sort of put together of her entire work it just really sort of gave me perspective about where I am, you know, in, in terms of my photography. Like, it's only just starting. And, you know, that to explore sort of other, other, you know, like I haven't done a lot of film photography, so maybe that's something I want to explore. And, um, yeah. Isn't that cool? That, that's, that's really interesting, <clears throat> you know, that... You know, some of the newer photographers coming in, I mean, it makes me feel really old, but some of the newer photographers coming in saying, 
hey, I want to explore that film stuff. That looks like really, that looks really interesting. Well, Steve, Steve, doesn't that make you feel like he's going to like, you know, well, go? You know, I'm not surprised because like I say, when I'm, I'm teaching my classes and I've, I've got a lot of students that are just getting into things, they're like totally fascinated. And we've talked a little bit about it before, you know, with film, just because for them it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, they're used to digital and wow, the magic of, you know, black and white darkroom photography and, and just, you know, the look that you get and the whole process is different. So it's understandable that you might want to explore it. Yeah. So Lisa, what kind of stuff are you shooting? Just out of curiosity. Um, I guess I, I, I'm, I would like to focus mainly on um, fashion and portraits at mm-hmm. this point. I, mm-hmm. I find that, you know, I really like to have a subject in, in my shots. Um, so, and, you know, I like to do a lot of sort of off-camera strobe stuff. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I got a, a lens baby just just a couple weeks ago, and just playing with that was really cool. Like, there's, you know, I had the sort of um, plastic optic that made it, everything look kind of like a Lomo. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to, you know, just to take pictures, you know, because so, sometimes you don't always have access to, you know, the Grand Tetons, <laughs> yeah. you know, and wild buffalo. You know, you just have your own surroundings. So it's just trying to find, you know, something to explore with you know other than just like a nicely exposed shot yeah you know yeah. i want to and I, you know i've been lot looking at a lot of flicker and you know photo jojo just sort of diy little things that that can just help me sort of explore different areas of photography and not just you know if i'm taking a picture a portrait like to actually explore different things I can do other than just sort of setting up, you know, three-point lighting and boom. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's interesting. And just just quickly, how long have you been shooting, please? Um, I guess about, I mean, I've been taking pictures my whole life, but seriously, probably two years. You know, they, I, we've talked a little before about, you know, that new book by Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Outliers, where he, his hypothesis is it takes 10,000 hours to succeed at something. Photography, I, I believe, is no different. I think maybe there's agreement with us, perhaps. I mean, there's no substitute for doing it. And 10,000 hours means 10 years. And, uh, you know, you're just at the beginning, Lisa, really. So uh, it, it's sometimes frustrating, I think, for all of us. But, you know, the more you shoot, regardless, the, the better it's going gonna, it's gonna to become, I think. Mm-hmm. I just think anything that's going to sort of inspire you to, to keep doing it on a daily basis because sometimes you, you know you get discouraged if you haven't taken sort of a, a magical shot in a little while and um, so you know sometimes it's it's a different lens that gets me there you know I rent a lot of lenses and try things out because I don't have I don't have a lot <laughs> right a lot of gear right now so it's it's and I got a little little Holga just to experiment with and pl- playing with different formats. And Lisa, you're like smack dab in the middle of the target market for, you know, lots of these companies like Adobe, Apple, ex- you know, et cetera, that are looking at the advanced amateur hobbyist as the largest part of the market that they're trying to hit. So they're, most of their marketing materials, for, and I can speak from a relative place of knowledge, <laughs> most of the, the marketing materials are targeted at people just like you. So that's, that's awesome that you're out there doing that. That's, so, a, that's a good question. We, you know, where do you guys find inspiration for your photography? 
Oh man, for for me in particular, I you know it depends on well. So I'm I guess I'm sort of like Lisa. I like to shoot people and portraits and fashion type stuff. Uh, so I find inspiration when I'm shooting somebody because I have that energy that sort of feeds back and forth and it's fun and you know all that stuff. But you know if I'm on a photo walk or something, you know I'll try to to narrow it down and say okay today I'm going to try to get pictures of. X, you know, much like our photo assignments. I'm going to try to do something that's shallow depth of field, you know, and just bring one lens and one camera body and just and a bunch of memory cards and just go for it. So, you know, it's it just depends on the day. What about you, Ron? Inspiration. Inspiration. I steal. I steal ideas. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's legal. It's legal. I mean, you know, really, that is. You 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 see something and and you know, it's usually not so much. I'm going to go out and shoot that exact thing that I'm seeing, but it, you know, it's it's a unique take. I mean, that's what great art is, right? It's a unique take on the world, and when you see something like that, it makes you think about, oh, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it in that way. And then as soon as you start doing that, you kind of lead into, and you know, you could also do this or that. Uh, and, and for me, that's that's usually what sort of inspires me to be. You know, I should I should try and do that. Of course, most of the time, those inspirations are. When I'm, you know, sitting in a room reading a book or looking at images on the web, and then that has to actually translate to then putting it into practice and going out and shooting those things, which I think we're all bad at. We have these great ideas, but, but yeah, for the most part, it's you look at what other great artists have done or what great artists have done, and then try to come up with something that's sort of your own take on it. Yeah. So, Ron, wh- while you're while you're talking, Ron, sorry, Lisa, while you're talking, Ron, what's your uh your pick of the week, since we're in that, we're in that segment right now. <laughs> oh yeah, aren't we? Um, well, going completely away from the <laughs> sense of inspiration. <laughs> yeah, get out of that stuff, man. What do you think this is a creative <laughs> show? <laughs> and practical. My pick this week is actually something called Photo Rescue. Um, it's from a company called DataRescue.com. It's a little piece of software. It runs on Mac and Windows, and it is designed to. Pull um, pull images off of memory cards even after the cards have been damaged or I, I haven't. It's been a long time since I've had a memory card fail on me, but uh, it hasn't been quite as long uh, a time where I've maybe accidentally deleted something or formatted a card when I wasn't quite ready to do that. And you realize, oh, I didn't actually pull those things off of the card and onto my computer. So yeah, there's this piece of software called Photo Rescue. It's like thirty bucks. And uh, it does an amazing job of going back to a card, even a card that's been formatted in camera, and finding the images that are still on there and pulling them back off. And kind of a miracle, isn't it, really? I know it's, it's not. It's pretty neat. Well, you know, because what happens is when you format a card uh, or you even erase everything off the card, it doesn't really, like, write zeros to the card. All it does is sort of remove this little header that says there's a picture here. But the picture is still there. It's just the pointer to it has been removed. And so a lot of times, you know, and it's, it's kind of fun sometimes if you go back and rescue a, off of a card, and if you haven't filled that card up recently, you'll see photos from uh, you know, a couple of years ago even. But for me, it's, it's, it's proven useful. I really love their model, which is um, you, don't, uh, you don't need to buy it until you need it, right? You have a situation where you need it. You go to their website. You download the software. It'll tell you what it finds on the card. It'll show you little tiny thumbnails. And only then do you have to actually pay the money to uh, to get those photos off the card. So if you do that and it can't recover anything off the card, then you don't have to don't have to buy the software. Once you've bought it, then it's really handy though to have it there, and it's only thirty bucks. So it, it might be useful to just just get it in case you find yourself in a situation where you don't have a web connection and you want to recover something. 
Right. You you've shot a wedding and you accidentally rode over the card and you know you're you're going to be out fifty thousand dollars or something. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. Simon, what's your pick? Oh, um, well, I, I picked um, something that I was pointed to on Twitter, which is really becoming to be a, a valuable resource uh, with the various, I follow quite a number of people, including all you guys. And uh, there's always interesting things. And with this whole time lapse thing, which I'm anxious to have fun with and try, um, I think it was a photo editor blog that pointed me to um, a time lapse thing done by Oren Lavi. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that way. We'll link to it uh, on the site, I think. Um, and it's uh, it's just a beautiful little music video done with time lapse in a in a gorgeous way. I thought, and mm. it was uh, really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Cool. And uh, we'll link hard, to that. hard to really describe on radio or podcast, whatever this is, but you have to see it. It's very, very painterly. I think I saw that one. It's very painterly and very, it's almost stop action, right? Like stop action, live action. Yeah, I guess maybe that's a better way to describe it. But uh, yeah, it can be done with uh, your still camera. Very cool. And Aaron, what's your, uh, what's your tip? Um, mine, I'm going to kind of wrap up my streak the last few weeks of political photography-related topics um, and um, mention an article uh, from New York Times this past week from uh, with Errol Morris, um, who is the fantastic documentarian as well. Um, I guess that's the word to use. Uh, it's called Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, and uh, he sat down and had a very long long discussion. I mean, you're going to be scrolling your browser for a while on this one. Um, with three of the top uh, wire photography editors and asked them to you know, bring forward a few shots um, from their perspective of what uh, from the eight years of uh, President Bush's uh, presidency, um, the ones that they felt summed up him as an individual or his character over those eight years. And some of the choices are, are fascinating. There's clearly a lot of overlap. You're going to see you know, three different angles of, of the same scene from several of them and then quite a few unique ones and particularly as you get to the bottom of the page some really remarkable shots that one of the editors brought up from just the last final days of, of his uh, his time in office and uh, you know many people know politically he is not my uh, my favorite person on the planet by any stretch but um, I actually had a little bit of a twinge of, uh, of humanity uh, for him looking at some of these photos so I think it'll have that effect on a lot of people so uh, it's well worth seeing I, I think uh, the rest of you have looked at it earlier in the week when I sent it out and uh, got some comments back from you yeah, we tend to think in still images, and I bet you if I mention, like, I agree with you, Aaron, it's a great, great piece, you know, that, that uh, image of, uh, you know, his former chief of staff, Andy Card, whispering into his ear the morning of 9-11 when he was in that little classroom, I think people, you know, the image will pop into people's mind because they, they remember it, or the mission accomplished him at the podium. I mean, you know, those are images that are kind of burnt into our, you know, mind's photo album, if you will, so... They become really iconic. Yeah, I remember the the shoe throwing incident. That's when that one's burned into my head. <laughs> and and you know, it's like my the, the my president at the time has uh, really good reflexes because he dodged that thing like he knew it was coming. <laughs> prepared, he's prepared. He was ready for that one. Awesome. So my my pick is uh, was a necessity. I had to run out to the uh, Best Buy, my local Best Buy, and replace a printer because I had. An old Epson R300 that I've been using for years. It's faithful service, been great, and then uh, just it just gave up the ghost, just gone. 
So uh, the printer's now gone, and I replaced it with an Epson Artisan 800, a multifunction printer. My first multifunction printer. But this thing is amazing. I was unpacking it, uh, and I'm looking at it right now. I was unpacking it yesterday, and it's a scanner. It's a fax machine. It's a printer. Prints up to 8x10 borderless. It's a, uh, a memory card reader for micro SD, SD you know, compact flash, all that on it. It's got a touch LCD screen. Uh, it's Wi-Fi enabled, so <laughs> it's got an Ethernet port on it. It's like everything you could possibly want in an office printer. Now, I'll be using this thing as my sort of home business, you know, machine. And my Epson 3800 will do all the heavy lifting for regular photo prints. But this thing is just, it's amazing. It's like a little droid that sits on the desk and, and does everything you need it to do. So, you, you laid off your whole office staff. I, they're all gone. I fired the copy guy, the scan guy, <laughs> Mr. Fax, gone. They're all in one little one little device now. So I'm happy about it. And it's uh, I think we'll link to it. And I'll uh, you know I think I'm going to do a little review of it on my blog or on uh, Twip Photo once I uh, once I play with it and 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 I get my feet wet wet actually putting some prints through it. But overall, so far, first looks is it's a great printer. And so we'll let's just bounce out uh, right now to an interview that I did uh, a couple days ago with the Photo JoJo CEO Amit Gupta. Nice. Yeah, I had the interview to speak with him down in uh, up in San Francisco a couple days ago, and uh, we we had quite a lengthy chat. Not that long, but uh, it was it was really inspiring. So take a listen. So I'm a big fan of uh, doing stuff with your photos. We talk a lot on This Week in Photography about technique and cameras and gear and lenses and all this stuff and uh, how to get photos. We do contests, you know, but uh, what I'm a big fan of is actually sharing your work with people and and getting it out into the world in different ways. And I've become a fan actually over the, the past, I don't know, couple of years of a newsletter slash website called photojojo.com that's run by a friend of mine, Amit Gupta, who has uh, graciously taken time out of his busy San Francisco schedule to come here and chat with me. Hey, Amit. Hey, Frederick. How's it going? It's going great. So I want to I just understand a little bit or, or help the people that are listening to this understand what Photo Jojo is and what its mission is. A lot of, you know, I know you have like a, this legion of people that are following you, but a lot of people don't know about it. So for sure. those people, how would you describe it? Well, we started um, three years ago with a, a pretty simple mission to make photography more fun. And one of the basic things we wanted to help people do was to get all those photos off people's hard drives and into the world. Um, so many of us are taking hundreds or thousands of photos a year. Some of us are taking hundreds or thousands of photos a month. And they just pile up on our hard drives. And it's kind of sad. There was a, a time when film made it so you just didn't take as many photos. And each one was kind of precious. And you made albums. And you put stuff in frames. And you kind of cherish those memories. And you don't do that anymore. You just take them and you see them. You post them online maybe. And then you forget about them. Yeah. And yeah, so we're all about trying to bring some of the magic back into photography and helping people to come up with interesting ways to show off those photos. And what are, what are some of the ways that, that, that you tell people to show off the photos? Is it, you know, just print it and frame it or do you get more creative than that? It's all over the map. I mean, we've, um, we've done projects around the holidays where we show people how to turn a photo into an ornament for a tree or uh, a snow globe. Um, and we do stuff where we show people how to make like a simple um, but really kind of hip 
photo frame out of a piece of cardboard or uh, how to mount photos onto wood, wooden blocks and kind of show them off on the wall in a really unique way. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really all over. And a lot of our ideas come from people who contribute them and, and are already kind of just experimenting. Um, so I know that people have submitted stuff like uh, somebody will send us a picture where they've got a clothesline up in their living room and it's got, you know, clothespins with photos on it. And every time somebody comes into their apartment, they take a photo of that person clothespin into the, to the clothesline. And it's That's just cool. kind of a cute, fun way to bring photography into your home. Yeah. And all photographers should be doing stuff like that just to sort of like if you walk into my house, I'd want you to know yeah. immediately that I was a photographer sure. and see stuff around. But I'm guilty as everybody else. I don't have that much of my own stuff hanging. Yeah. So then, okay. So you mentioned uh, people submit mm-hmm. different ideas. Walk walk me slash us through how you know the site works overall. Is it just is it a blog that people go to and they, there's articles that get posted, or do you, do you send out email blasts? How does it work? Sure. Well, we do two main things. Uh, we have a photography newsletter, and that goes out twice a week, and it's full of uh, kind of creative things to shoot and creative things to do with your photos after you shot them. Um, so that's an email and RSS newsletter. You can subscribe either way. Uh, we also have an online store, which is kind of the other half of what we do, where we find really fun photography stuff that you kind of don't see elsewhere and sell it. Um, so those are the, the two aspects. We also have a Twitter account and a Facebook, and you can kind of get um, on the Twitter account the links that don't make the newsletter but are still really interesting, just don't fit for some reason. Yeah. I think I remember uh, on several shows ago we talked about this bottle cap tripod uh-huh. thing. Was that through Photo JoJo? Yeah, that's one of the things we saw in our store. It's pretty popular. Yeah, people people like that. Basically, it's a... It's a water bottle, much like the water the water that we're drinking here, <laughs> but it's larger, right? Describe what it is. Well, it's really just this one-inch kind of cap that goes on top of any water bottle. It doesn't matter what kind of water bottle it is, and it's got a little tripod screw that goes into your camera. So if you you know don't want to carry around that big tripod because you're on vacation, you're not really you know going out for a shoot, uh, you can throw this in a, in a backpack or even in your pocket. And if you just need to steady your camera for a group shot or a night shot, um, a lot of the time it'll just rescue. Yeah. Day, yeah. Yeah. I might as well get one of those and throw it in your bag just in case. Exactly. And it's pretty cheap and small. Fits anywhere. Yeah. Another tip like that, that, uh, uh, David Pogue was telling me about one time was using the lamp yeah. in, in your hotel room because mm-hmm. the, the thread at the top of the lampshade on most of them, unless you're staying in a W and they don't have lampshade, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can, you can screw your camera in there and use that as a makeshift tripod as yeah, well. Yeah. And, and we love stuff like that. Like I remember we did, a. Um, there's like a little tripod, not really, not a tripod, but a little trick you can use to steady your camera where you get a, a piece of string and a, you can buy a screw at the hardware store and a couple washers and basically, um, make yourself a monopod out of string that crumples up cause it's made out of string, yeah. obviously. Um, and just goes with you anywhere. So we love that kind of DIY stuff. Like if there's any way to kind of cleverly make your photography easier or better, we we we'd luck, we love that kind of stuff and are always looking for it. So people are submitting to the site and then you guys publish it. You cull through it, publish yeah. the good stuff, mm-hmm. and, and then the subscribers see it. Yep, both through submission and just, you know, constantly asking our friends and going through their homes and their garbage and just any possible <laughs> place where we might find a Dumpster photo idea. Dumpster diving for photography nuggets, uh-huh. right? <laughs> That's our motto. <laughs> okay, so then just backing up a little bit, you know, from the Photo JoJo space, since you're, you have a pretty large following, uh, which means you probably aren't pretty in touch with consumer-based photographers or, sure. you know, uh, what would you say is, is sort of the, the major trend right now in terms of photography? Are people 
you know, or to put it a, a different way, what are people shooting, you know, as consumers? Are they just, you know, is it the normal stuff? They're shooting friends and family, kids, all that stuff, or, or what is it? Um, well, within our, our readership base, we're seeing a lot of people documenting their lives. And this is a trend that's obviously started years ago as cameras got smaller, got built into uh, phones and so forth. But um, so many people are taking more photos and just using photos to remember what happened. It's no longer obviously something where you bring the camera out at a birthday party or um, at Christmas, you're, you're taking photos every day. Yeah. And I think that's just really changed how we think about photography. Um, and beyond that, I mean, the fact that video is built into those cameras and into um, into those phones is, is really going to change things. I'm excited to see where that goes in the next few years because up till now, it's just been a little bit harder to share video than it has been to share photography. Even online, it's just a little bit hokier and the, the software is not quite there. The sites just aren't tuned for video yet. Right. Um, but yet video can be such a kind of rich way, a moving picture can be such a rich way to to share a memory. and uh, Are you telling us that there's going to be a video JoJo in the future? Well, the domain has been purchased for years, but we'll, we'll Oh, it see. has? <laughs> yeah. By you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Very cool. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> so then, okay, so talking about video and all that stuff, what do you, you know, on the sort of mid-range advanced amateur to pro side of photography, Yeah, you know, there's the there's all the, the, the hubbub right now about the HD and mm-hmm. the, the Canon Mark, or the 5D Mark II and all that. Yeah. Uh, and the Nikon D90 shooting this really beautiful video. Sure. Just from a high level, where do you think that stuff's going? Do you think it's a fad? Do you think photographers should be shooting video or or what? I mean, I think a lot of the, the eye that you need to see something, the way it's going to look on a piece of paper is similar to how it's going to look when it's framed in a, in a television screen or a movie screen. So there's definitely overlap and a lot of photographers are doing excellent video. Um, on the consumer side, it's pretty clear that the the tools are just going to merge. Like there's no reason to buy a camcorder and buy a camera. It should just be or buy a point and shoot and buy a camcorder. Right. It should just be one device. Um, on the pro level, it's definitely less obvious. I think that the fact that um, the tools are different isn't as much a vestige of history. It's more um, that, you know, having that big bulky camera sometimes for video just makes sense. And having the SLR kind of shape the way it is makes more sense for still. Right. Um, so I'm not sure where the convergence will go there. It seems like the video built into the D90 and the Mark II is really just, you know, aimed at more kind of casual video at this point, and that mm. might be where it stays. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit yeah. to uh, social networking and sharing your photos out that way. You know, of course, we've got Flickr, we've got Facebook, SmugMug, all these different sites that that let you get your photos out and share them with people. What do you what do you see from your perspective as deficits in those areas? Or or in other words, how what's missing from those services that that would kick them up to the next level? Um, It's definitely um, there's definitely some consolidation missing. I think that um, Facebook is filling this huge niche in the consumer market and has become uh, obviously the number one online photo site because uh, it's easy and it's free and there's unlimited storage. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, I think that Flickr provides a better interface, but it's it hasn't really evolved in the last few years. It's still great, and the, and the video stuff is actually really tastefully done. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's it's inevitable that at some point we'll be able to see our friends' photos regardless of whether they're uploaded on SmugMug or Kodak Gallery or Flickr or Facebook. We should be able to see them in one place. And yeah. it's kind of surprising that that hasn't been done yet. And I'm sure it's 
it's always just around the corner, but hopefully it'll happen in the next five years. Yeah. And the way, the way I look at, say, a Facebook is it's more, it's your friends, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's your friends and your life and sort of, you know, the running tally of what's going on right now. And you look at the, the way that I use Flickr personally is it's more of I'll pick a hero shot out of, you know, these, these artistic sort of photos that I want to share and get yeah. critiqued on. So I, I use the two services differently. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll upload pictures from, you know, whatever party or New Year's Eve or whatever right. to, to Facebook, but I won't necessarily put those on Flickr. Sure. Do you think there's a merging that needs to happen mm-hmm. there? So Not th- for those two. It's definitely, you're right that for the professional market, I think it just makes sense to have tools like SmugMug or, or, or even Flickr where you kind of keep that stuff separate because you don't want to put your, you know, snapshots with bad flash and automatic <laughs> mode on in, in your professional You've been portfolio. Looking at my pictures, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but just just on the consumer side, it's just it's really fragmented right now, and in a in a way that's a little frustrating. On the pro side, um, sure, consolidation would help, but I think it's less important because a lot of the time you're you're sending your portfolio to people or um, you're pointing people to. It. It's not that you're following sixty you know six hundred friends who have photos and you want to keep up on them, yeah. um, which is kind of the problem on the on the social and the consumer level. Yep. So here, here's being a photography a photographer. Um, the one of the questions I get all the time, I'm sure you get, is, "Hey, what camera should I buy?" <laughs> <laughs> so Amit, in front of the yeah. Twip Army, what camera should I buy? <laughs> um, I can't tell you about SLRs because I'm not in the market and no, I'm not you. up to date. Uh, I, well, so in, I'm, I usually respond with how much you have to spend. So I'll yeah. say, "Okay, Amit, I have 500 bucks. Yeah. I need to buy a camera. Which one should I get?" Probably the Panasonic LX3. Uh, that's what I've been looking at. Mm. It's a it's a nice camera. It's I know got people some good with control. that camera. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Alex Lindsay's in the background doing a hero. No, move. it's a, I've been a Canon person for the longest time. A Nikon on the SLR side and, and Canon on the on the point and shoot side. And um, I've seen some you know borrowed a friend's LX3 and borrowed some of the Leicas and. It's just a really nice camera. It's got some good control, and it's it's still really small. So, so that's w- what do you have against the Canon G9? Uh, nothing against it, <laughs> <laughs> or the G10. I think they're both yeah. they're both good cameras. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, so uh, we've been talking a lot about Photo Jojo, which is of course at photojojo.com. You can mm-hmm. sign up for the newsletter and all that. Um, but where can people find out more about you and follow you? Um, they can find me at amitgupta.com. It's just my personal website. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Thanks a lot, Amit. Sure. Thank you. All right. That was that was Amit Gupta, the Photo Jojo CEO. Uh, we'll link to all of his stuff in the show notes, of course. But you know, if you just want to go over to his to to the blog, there it's at photojojo.com. You can sign up for their newsletter over there. So on to the uh, the photo assignment and all that good stuff. I think the the current assignment for the, that we're in now is shallow depth of field. So I think we have a bunch of entries coming in, and and uh, Aaron, have you peeked in there? Are we getting some good yeah, good things? I've been keeping an eye on it. There's some. There's going to be some hard choices to make in this one this yeah. week, and um, this is the final week. So next week we'll announce our next topic. Cool. And I happen to know what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's um, so yeah. And if you you know you want to make sure you jump in there, and you can you can jump in there. Just go to our Flickr discussion and critique groups, and 
and and post your shallow depth of field photos. Um, that happens to be my favorite kind of photography, at least lately. Just shooting with a macro lens and getting really mm-hmm. close and throwing everything in the background out of focus of like ordinary objects. It's just, uh, something magical about that. I, I was going to ask you guys because I I unfortunately don't have like a fifty one point four at this stage or you know those eighty five one twos. Does anyone have that stuff? Because people that have been using those lenses, I mean, there's a real tangible beautiful look to it when they use them right yeah yeah i have one i have a 51.4 and you're right it is it's there's something magical about the in in steve you're you're the resident pro photojournalist here so is it pronounced bouquet or boca <laughs> bouquet. I don't think it's bouquet. You know, no. I saw it both ways. I, it's you know, yeah. I looked it up and and it said it can be pronounced bouquet or boca. Alex would probably settle it because I believe it comes from a Japanese word. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, I think Alex once said, I think it might be boca, but. Um, I, we'll we'll have to we'll have to defer either to either Alex or either Alex or Scott insists that it's pronounced uh, bouquet. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, but Lisa, Scott you think his, it's Boca, right? Scott's yeah. license plate on his truck is Boca or Bouquet. Is it? He, yeah, he would know. Yeah. Huh. Oh, well, All right. I'm sticking well, with Boca. I like Boca. <laughs> uh, I lived in Japan too, so I don't know. But yeah, so did I, I and I still don't know. <laughs> Actually, my my main lens is the fifty one point four. Yeah, I, me too. What I do most everything with, and um, you know, I've used it for everything from you know, sort of macro um, portraits to landscapes. It, I mean, it's just such a a beautiful lens. I mean, you know, you get like on my camera, um, I have the Canon XTI. I get a lot of cropping, so it's not something you want to use for something wide. But like in low light, it's I mean such a beautiful yeah um, it's really versatile I, I use it a lot also it's it's handy everybody should get one do you use it on one point on its widest setting most of the time no no I, no i don't know i i like there's sort of a sweet spot i find um like a 2.5 for me um but and also um interesting enough canon just released uh 50 f 1.8 Two, it's mm. actually a sub uh, one hundred dollar lens. You can get it on Amazon for eighty four dollars. Wow! And I think that it would be a great lens for people who you know don't have thousands of dollars spent on lenses to just see what it's like taking shots with a prime lens and sort of open up their creativity and you know just try it out for eighty four bucks. Yeah, I, that's my advice to a lot of people that are just getting started on this. You know, I tell them go go get that lens. You know, spend the figure that the cost of your camera includes the extra eighty dollars to have that one point eight lens, and uh, learn how to use it before you get into anything more complicated, because that's where you really learn the control over. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a it gives you a narrow enough depth of field that it's very obvious when you are controlling depth of field, as opposed to some of these kit lenses that come with it and they start at three point five or four or something like that, where you never you can never get down to having a really small depth of field, so you don't quite understand the concept of trying to control it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the latest poll uh, was, if digital photography didn't exist, would you be involved in photography now as much as you are? And uh, surprise, surprise, 13% said not sure, but uh, 58 almost 60% said no, they wouldn't be, mm-hmm. and 27%, 27.7 said yes, they would. So, 
I don't know. I think that 27 might be a little high. I think a lot of people are in photography right now because they don't have to deal with the dip and dunk and mess of chemicals and expense of film and paper and all that stuff. So I think it would be probably closer to 80% that would not be involved in photography if, if it weren't for digital. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't I don't think I would just because of the, for me, it's the money that you have to spend and the developing and all that. I mean, with digital, you just have it and you can take as much as you want and it's, it's so versatile and the ability to, to process and, um, but uh, obviously, I, yeah. you, well, I was going to say, also the, the ability to see your mistakes immediately, right? Yeah. That, yeah. Don't you find that too, Lisa, that, that you know, you, you can understand what's going on much more quickly? Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I'm self-taught, so it was. it's just about, you know, looking at the histogram and looking at what's actually on display and, you know, figuring out what I need to do, and then eventually you just kind of, you learn from, from doing and experiencing that sort of firsthand instead of sort of after the fact with, with a print. Yeah. So is this how uh, we separate the real photographers from the non-real photographers in that, you know, people that are going to do photography, whether they have to lug that giant camera and ignite the flash powder, <laughs> you know, do, do the wet plates or, you know, go through all the things. There's no question, and, and, and I think that's, that, that, that poll is very revealing in that, you know, this humongous growth in the interest uh, in photography has absolutely been fueled by the convenience and ease of of uh of digital um but it it's it's almost a little surprising in a way to see because we know that you know once bitten by the shutter bug you get totally into it and you're passionate but um you know those of us that have came up through film you know you did it back then and it didn't really feel you know that it was uh you know anything negative or or it was it was work but you did it because you kind of wanted to do it yeah. so it's hard to really know unless you you actually go through it the shutter bug had to bite a little bit deeper back then cuz that uh the feedback loop from you know when you actually got to see what your success or mistake was was 3 or 4 days back then or even longer in some cases whereas today it's 3 or 4 seconds right and who's got three or four seconds? We're busy. You know, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I got things to do. Uh, so we've got a new poll that's going up, uh, and it is, what kind of monitor are you using? And the choices are a cold cafe or cathode backlit LCD. That's the most common type of flat panel. That's what I'm looking at right now. Uh, I think that's what I'm looking at. Um, an LED backlit LCD. It's a newer type of flat panel. Or the old uh, CRT that takes five minutes to warm up. The old, <laughs> the old kind. If there's anybody using that one, you know, <laughs> I want to hear about them. So I think we're, we're going to get a lot of people on just the uh, the first one. So, which, uh, so take a second, click on that poll, and let us know what you're using. It would be very interesting. And uh, just a quick second here to mention our sponsor, Drobo. Folks over at Data Robotics are sponsoring This Week in Photography. Drobo is a redundant hard drive. It's redundant against hard drive failures. It's expandable at any time. You can pop out any of the drives and pop in another one um, to expand your storage cheaply with uh, any SATA drive. Um, you can use different drive sizes instead of just you know having all... Uh, one terabyte drive units in there or smaller. You can mix and match them. 
depending on what you have. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good deal. I'm using two of them right now in my house, and uh, I have no problems with them so far. We're offering uh, $50 off, or Drobo is offering $50 off for TWIP listeners on the new Drobo Firewire 800 version of the software. And you can pick one of those up at drobostore.com slash TWIP. Drobo I got I got my Drobo going great, and now I have a second Drobo that I haven't loaded up with drives. And I think Aaron, you pointed to a listener who accidentally got one of those brand new Western Digital two terabyte drives. I know that you know one terabyte was sort of the max, and then suddenly Seagate came out with one and a half, and there were some problems. But I understand that Western Digital now has a two terabyte drive, which means the Drobo could you know hold four of those two terabyte things. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cheap. Yeah. Go ahead, Ron. No comment. I was just gonna say they're getting cheap. The uh, you know the one terabytes are now down under uh, under a hundred dollars regularly, and uh, I think I think I saw that the two terabytes were going to sell or start at around uh, close to three hundred. So that's that's uh, but you know obviously that's gonna be a list price and the street price will come down on that too. But yeah. I you know yeah, I'm, at, I'm at the point where I just want to I want to buy an extra disc even though I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently that listener um, bought a one terabyte drive, a green Western Digital drive, and when he opened it up, it turned out it was a two terabyte drive, which oh. is kind of nice. I would have complained about that. He should take that back. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's just get into our discussion really quick. I wanted to talk about um, presenting your work, and I want to get into a quick discussion about how each of you guys present the photos that you that you take. You know, are you you know are you throwing them up on Flickr? Do you have your own personal site? Um, you know, just that sort of thing. So, Lisa, you know, I know you you shoot a, a fair amount. What do you, how do you share those with people? Um, well, I share them. Uh I'll, I'll, I sort of take one good shot. I usually try to do it maybe, you know, three times a week, and I'll take it through and I'll process it, and then I'll put it up on Flickr. And um, I, I've received so much excellent feedback on Flickr. It's such a great place to share um, to share your photos and to, to be inspired by other photographers. Um, and then I've actually just made my first gallery site. Oh, um, so at, you can find it at lisabetany.com. And um, some wonderful people, Brian Revis and Pascal De Silva, helped me build that. And it's actually integrated with Flickr. So I have a Flickr, Flickr set um, that, actually, that actually goes to my gallery site. Oh, that's cool. I'm looking at it now. Wow. So, that, so your, your site is powered by Flickr? Just a, just it is. Interesting. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know you could do that. Cool. And Ron, how are you? How are you sharing your stuff? Uh, you know, for a while there, I was sort of building out little web pages out of uh, out of Aperture and, and putting them up. And I still do that for big trips. You know, here's the nice friendly page. But you know, a lot of times now, it's just easier to put it up to Flickr, it, it build a little set there, and. Uh, the nice thing about Flickr, of course, is you get the community aspect of it. You, people can see it and comment on it and that sort of thing. So I kind of kind of do a little bit of both. And anytime I go to the trouble of organizing an actual photo album that I put up on a website, I still end up mirroring that on Flickr because I just want to have it have it there as well. 
Now, how do you guys, so, so Ron, in particular, how do you feel about just, you know, there's been a lot of controversy about people taking images off of Flickr, you know, and or using them in, in non-creative commons approved ways. Do you have any worries about that? Well, I, I mark all of my stuff creative commons. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a pro. I'm not in this to sell photos. I don't think I ever will. I don't suspect that I'm going to take this photo that's going to make so much money that uh, I'll be able to retire off of it. So, you know, I just, I mean, you know, maybe if I took a photo and I really thought that, I wouldn't mark it as such. But my general policy is I'd rather just get my pictures out there. And so I mark everything as creative commons as soon as I put it up on Flickr and, you know, have at it. You know, it's uh, the the Creative Commons license uh, I choose is the one that asks for attribution. So if somebody does grab the photo and put it somewhere, use it on the website, you know, hopefully they're abiding by the terms and, and giving me a credit somewhere. But that's really all I want to get out of it. Yeah. And Steve, as a pro, I know your your needs are different than the the casual shooters. Uh, how are you? How are you presenting your work to clients? And if you, you know, you're working on personal projects, how do you share those? Yeah, well, you know, I guess maybe my needs are different, but I have to say that, you know, probably it's it's one of the weak links in my in my chain in that uh, you know, my website, I've got a, a an inexpensive Livebooks website that I that's easy easily to update, easy to update, but um if you went to my site, you'd know that I haven't updated it in a while. <laughs> Um, this is the biggest, the, the biggest, it's one of the challenges. I mean, the urgent pile is always stacked high. Um, it's part of my New Year's resolution to kind of catch up and then get ahead. But um, I think it is important, particularly for professionals, and I'm talking to myself here, that you want to have a really strong, uh, robust uh, web presence and website. I'm planning on maybe getting into the blog game as well at some point uh, later in the year. Um, I think, you know, I'm just watching, you know, Lisa and Fred and all you guys and Aaron and Ron, uh, the blogs that you guys uh, do and Twitter and just, just seeing how how powerful it's becoming and how many people mm-hmm. you're able to reach. And that's uh, an area that I, I, I want to get to. It's going to require my full attention and, and a lot of time to do it. So in the meantime, you know, job by job, I'm using Aperture to create web galleries. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of presenting my work on a, a need-to-see basis in that regard. You know, if I have an exhibition, obviously I'm going to going to print it. Um, it's, it's wonderful, and it reminds me sometimes when I look at a, a magazine or a book and I see a beautiful printed image that, you know, the images that we're used to seeing on our browser and on our screens um, take on a completely different and perhaps many times more powerful presence when they're actually printed out. So it's something that I think um, is probably a good idea eventually to have a really strong hard copy printed portfolio as well. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I agree, especially now that I have this new printer. So, <laughs> exactly, you got to put it to the test. <laughs> I got to print me out some giant eight by tens on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Aaron, Aaron, how are you sharing your your work? Mine's a a bit of a mixture. Um, my my main role or as a career is I'm a, a network administrator and uh, programmer and up to my eyeballs and servers and bandwidth and circuits and so on. So I've got a lot of resources around me that I utilize and I, I tend to kind of roll my own sometimes in terms of setting things up. So my halfpress.com blog is uh, is where I put a lot of things and a lot of the structure of that about how my galleries are linked into my uh, my entries when I make them is just some kind of custom code I did behind the scenes a long time ago that helps automate the process. Um, but my gallery output 
uh, generally comes, <clears throat> excuse me, out of Lightroom. Um, and I'm just using some of Lightroom's own templates at the moment, which I may or may not have modified, probably haven't. Um, but I tend to offer a lot of mine both as an HTML gallery and um, as a uh, slideshow, a flash-based slideshow. Uh, so it's the same content, it's just the user chooses from a drop-down which way they want to go with it. And the slideshows are all put together with Slideshow Pro, uh, which I used to use uh, by itself and still do sometimes, but um, it's now available as a plug-in for Lightroom as well as an output module. So that, again, helps me streamline the process. So uh, there's a lot of kind of back-end database things and stuff going on on that system. Um, but beyond that, I do use Flickr a little bit more than I used to, uh, partly because I like their um, their mapping system for geotagging. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I put out a gallery of shots, I'll put it in, in both locations at once, um, which what I did with my inauguration shots, for instance. Same set as on Flickr that's also on Half Press. And on Flickr, it has the benefit of you know being able to bring up the map and look at the geotagging. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, so it's a mixture of things. I'm never quite happy with what I'm doing, <laughs> and I'm always looking at something else I want to create and may or may not have the time to create it. So I just take a little bit different approach to the process. Yeah, the way uh, the way that I share my stuff is I generally uh, it's like three or three different ways that I'm sharing it. It's either it's either going to go on Flickr and I try to put on put up maybe one image at a time up there. Lately, when I first started using Flickr, I was you know, I put an entire shoot up there and hope people yeah. would come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Kelly Castro, actually said, you know what, dude, you probably just want to put, <laughs> put one shot up there and, you know, but put be consistent about it. You know, if you want to get people looking at it, mm -hmm. put a, put one shot every day or every other day or, you know, with some frequency, but put your best shot forward. Don't just throw a bunch of stuff up there that you hope people will look at and comment on. Yeah, you know, so it, that sort of changed the way that I look at Flickr. But that, and that really is the hard part. Generally, though, is you know you come back, you've got some great pictures, and you know resisting the urge to say you know these two different uh, framings on the same subject are both really cool looking, so I'll just put them both up there. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's it's so hard to say I'm just going to show one, or it's just so hard to say. You know, I'm not going to put up more than uh, thirty pictures from this trip, even though I've got 150 that I just think are awesome. Yeah. It's easy for someone else to look at those images and, and make those hard choices. But for us, it's, it is hard. It's pr arguably the hardest thing. I mean, you know, when you shoot, you know, that's one process. But equally important and equally as difficult is the edit. And, yeah. mm -hmm. and being able to edit down is, is tough. But it, it helps if you've got, you know, someone trusted that could help you out there to, to, to choose. You know, and it's hard to use Flickr as a as an edit mechanism because I found and I don't know what you guys think, but I found that the the responses that I get on Flickr are overwhelmingly positive. You know, which is not yes. a bad thing. I'm not complaining, but it's it's I very rarely get a dude that sucks. How come you crop that that way? What if you did this? You know, uh, so I don't get a lot of constructive criticism through Flickr. I get a mm -hmm. lot of encouragement, which you I know, think, I, I you agree know. with that. But I think you, if you kind of filter that through, you know, not so much what am I getting negative comments on, but what am I getting no comments on? Mm. It's almost mm -hmm. the same thing, right? It's uh, like silence is really definite. Capture somebody, yeah. I mean, yeah. in some ways, getting a piece of negative comment may actually indicate it's a better photo than getting no comment. Yeah, no, it was it was interesting on at the Aperture workshops when uh, Scott Bourne would um, you know edit people's work and he would ask them, okay, do you want the edit mild, medium, or hot salsa? And by that meaning, do you want me to be just critically you know as 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 strong as I can be? And you know, ninety eight percent of the time, people really kind of want to know 
you know, the hard constructive criticism. That's what we want. But you're right. Maybe Flickr is not the place for that necessarily. Yeah. No. Well, we know Scott. Scott has his new blog out there. Scott, what is it? Scottscritiques.com or Scott Critiques. Dot com where he's yeah, uh, scottcritiques.com scottcritiques.com yeah so he's uh you know if you're ready to go under the uh, the microscope of Scott Bourne <laughs> you can <laughs> you can put yourself on the line over there so that's pretty interesting yeah. don't you feel like you're you're your own worst critic i mean i i pick apart my photos just in detail and i'll go over them so much like cropping i'll spend a long time and and I mean, oh, yeah. don't you feel, totally feel like I do the same thing and that's you know that's part of the reason why I need to have two drobos because I, <laughs> I shoot all this stuff and you know I post one or two things but I keep all the raw files so yeah mm-hmm. it's that's that's absolutely what my process is I'll toil over an image for a long time before I feel like I want other people to see it yeah mm-hmm. but I mean it's it, part for the course the, the tough part is when you know it's Yes, I think we can be our own worst critic much of the time. But if there's sort of an image that we kind of like, let's just say, mm, yeah. and, and, and to sort of get an objective sort of, I mean, do other people like it as much? And if not, why? Um, maybe we'll start to see it in a different light. And that's why, you know, having someone to edit and, and give their opinion and articulate it can be such a powerful thing because it'll make you, it could be a real eureka moment in your photography in that you start to kind of understand things a little more and then you become even a worse, your own worst critic in that regard. So, Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's it, critique is good, but you know, constructive criticism is great. And I, you know, I get a lot of constructive criticism just on my printed work because I, I print a lot of things uh, and hang them just in my gallery, which happens to be my house, <laughs> in my my living room, and you know, it, just around the house, I have frames that I change out from time to time, and I have a lot of people over all the time, so I get, uh, you know criticism and compliments and that kind of thing from them and that that helps a lot as well so so let's let's move on to listener questions and there's there's a listener question that i'm going to attempt to read here uh because ron brinkman said i should and it's uh it's on it's it's actually a continuation of the tethered uh the previous discussions we had on tethering and uh philip morris one of the the twip listeners gave us a response or wrote in and told us how he was using tethered shooting so or tethered you know photography for a photo shoot so i'm going to read this really quickly he says uh philip says in twip number 65 you mentioned that you wanted to hear about tethered photo shoots so in november of 2008 i had the opportunity to shoot one of our community events snacks with santa this is an event put on by smart start where kids come and do crafts games snacks and get a photo of them on Santa's lap. In past years, or in years past, other photographers did an okay job, but the lines to sit with Santa were long, and the wait for your photos was even worse. So I volunteered to do the shoot. Smart Snart did pay for the consumables, since it was a great advertisement. I got lots of compliments about the setup, how quick things were, and how much better than years past it was. So here's what I did. I set up my camera on a tripod with a 50mm lens and hooked it to my Mac using a 6-foot USB cable and a 4-foot extension. I dialed it in and made the appropriate adjustments to get everything right in the camera. I did leave autofocus on. 
And then use the EOS utility to capture images and set Lightroom to automatically import the JPEG images. From click to import was about six seconds. I set up an external monitor and used Lightroom's dual display mode to automatically show a large version of the photo for the parents as the images came in. This setup allowed me to, the ability to take about three shots. I would then select the best and jump over the print, jump over to the print module and send it to print. The total time for each child was about 35 seconds from shot to print. The printers were the bottleneck in the system, taking 45 or more seconds to print the, the, each image. But after two hours of shoots, the printing was only five minutes behind. As an added benefit to the parents, I gave them a place on my website where they could come and download a full-size JPEG free of charge. I scaled this down to a suitable resolution for an 8x10 print. I wasn't interested in charging for 8x10 enlargements. I just figured the traffic to the website was far more valuable. The equipment he used was a Canon EOS XTI 50mm f1.8, uh, the MacBook Pro 17-inch with an extra 21-inch monitor, HDMI monitor, uh, yeah, yeah, 21-inch HDMI, Epson PictureMate, Lightroom 2.0, and for this shoot, he had backups of everything. He had two cameras, two computers, two printers, extra batteries, and he had his strobes and umbrellas, and he did the shoot on a stage, and the stage lights were more than adequate for lighting. And you can hmm. check out his stuff at time-and-time.com. Dot com, and we'll put that link in the show notes as well. So it looks like a, a pretty, pretty reasonable setup. Um, you know, what do you guys think of that, uh, Ron? Would you would that be the setup you would use if you were doing a volume of people and you wanted to do the tethering thing? Well, first of all, I, I'd like to say that that was an excellent read, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Hey, you know, it's what I do: show business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I just thought it was really a really good, uh, concise description of you know what a, what a typical scenario might be for shooting tethered. We talked about this uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago about you know what's how do people use this and I thought it would be just good to kind of put out a concrete example of where it can be very useful clearly he used this to make it a, an, an efficient process to really streamline the process he had a lot of photos that he had to take and you know it really speaks to a good photographer being buttoned down and ready to go and having thought through the process not just showing up and, and winging it on the day it's uh, it's really the difference between a, a pro and somebody who's uh, just kind of fooling around with it right yeah, yeah. And, uh, clearly, yeah, when, clearly you know he, he thought through what he needed yeah when i was listening to you fred you know aside from occasionally drifting um <laughs> i thought to myself i thought to myself that i don't you like know, you at all is, Steve sorry, Simon. <laughs> so you read it magnificently my friend but but really i thought you know in looking at this you know big giant paragraph i'm watching on on online here um it's really just a, an everything you, knew, you need to sort of start your own little business. And you can sort of take that scenario, and you can use Lightroom or Aperture. They all work similarly. And create this kind of a setup and actually, you know, make some good money. This gentleman was very uh, generous in, in offering free, you know, JPEGs and so on and so forth. But you can take this kind of shooting model and apply it to, you know, your local. I know, I, I guess there's a whole... You know, world of professionals that use this, but but you can see that it's not that difficult for you yourself, you know, in your world to maybe apply it to something and maybe uh, make some money to feed your 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 hobby. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's you know, it, this is creativity. You know, it's 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 linking the chains and the pieces together to to solve the problem. You know, which is what we presented last week. So it's it's awesome. 
So, uh, you know, it looks like we lost Aaron. Uh, so Skype, for some reason, didn't like what he had to say and booted him off. <laughs> no. No, Aaron is such a technological guy, but in the past few weeks, you know, everything around him is failing. He's had blackouts and, you know, power things and stuff. But, man, it's it's that, I don't know, it's that little hamlet. It's, it's, cur- it's, it's the curse terrible. of Sweetwater. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> totally. So, you know, uh, let's just, let's, I think we're, we're at the end of the show anyway. So let's just wrap it up since we lost Aaron. And I'll, uh, let, if folks want to contact Aaron, you can reach him on the Twitters at uh, halfpress, H A L F P R E S S, or halfpress.com is his website slash blog. And uh, Ron, where can people find you? I am on Twitter as Ron Brinkman, R O N B R I N K M A N N. In two ends, right? Or three? Well, if you count the bond and the end in the middle, and there's technically four. You love those ends, don't you? Can I buy a vowel? <laughs> yeah. Lisa Betney, where can people find you? And by the way, Lisa, I'm looking at your. I'm still looking at your site here. It's beautiful. Your your oh, new you. your new portfolio site. It's awesome. I'm gonna have to contact these folks that you link to on the bottom i might have them do some work for me but that's uh Ooh. that's really cool how they integrated Flickr there but uh yeah, other than lisa com for your portfolio where can people find you i'm on twitter at mostly lisa and my blog is mostly lisa.com and my photography portfolio site is lisa com. awesome and Steve Simon, where can people learn um, more about you? Well, you know, I think uh, I'll just go with Twitter slash Steve Simon. I mean, I should just get rid of my phones and just go <laughs> all Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. Something's happened to me with Twitter. It's, uh, you know, I'm do- totally addicted and jealous of all the people that have more children or followers. <laughs> children. Oh. As, as you call them. <laughs> well, you called them fish in your fish tank at, in, in the interview, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, not me. I think in the interview, the video I interview I did of you on my blog, you, you either either you or me referred to them as. You're as putting fish. words in my mouth. I think it was you, but uh, well, I'm gonna have to but, go rewatch that video. Uh, fish, fish are very good for you. Yes, they are, but you can only feed them so much. You can't, you know, sure. you don't, you don't want to overfeed the Twitter followers. Yeah, and you don't want to eat them. Really, you don't want to eat them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I something, say something serious about Twitter? Yeah. Before you just go off. Yeah. You know. <laughs> We never do that, Lisa. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I just think it's really great how there's there's a bunch of photographers on Twitter, and I really I really encourage um, people to to join and to share share their shots as they come out. That's a great way, you know, put it on Flickr, and then you just link it up to Twitter so you can see people's shots. Um, talk about you know what gear they're using if they got new gear what lenses they're using any problems they encountered during a shoot um and sort of behind the scenes and and you can use um twit pics um mm. to take like tweety is a great app for your iphone and you can just take pictures of of behind the scenes because i always 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 want to know um you know setups people are using and i just love it when somebody you know i love it when steve when you when you tweet about stuff like that because it just it's so exciting because you have such an exciting life and just hearing about the things that you do it's sort of 
It's great to hear. Steve, yeah, thanks, you're not going to be should... able to get out of your, your little room now, are you? Your head's going to be should... so big. Uh, <laughs> you, you should see me right now before you, and you would maybe retract your last statement. But uh, No, I, I agree with you, Lisa. I think it's great, and I'm enjoying following everybody that that's on this broadcast and all the others because there's been some great little nuggets that I've gotten, you know, either tips or pointers mm-hmm. to some really cool stuff on the web. And, uh, yeah, it's it's... It's fantastic. Yeah. Like the other day, I, I I'm looking for a barn to shoot, and um and I just tweeted that out. Is are there any uh, Vancouver area photographers that know a good barn or farm location? And I got you know something like fifty replies. And it's just you know there's a great yeah. barn here. Google Maps. Here yep. it is. And it's just it's like wow. That's I mean it's just such a great way to connect with other photographers and sort of get excited about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Twitter Twitter is the glue that binds us all together. <laughs> so, what, what and you can quote me on that. Twitter? What did we do before Twitter? I don't even remember. Oh, uh, we we're just anti social. Nobody talked. Anti social. Yeah. So you know what? Uh, you know, speaking of anti social, we we've, we've lost Ron Brinkman. He had to run to <laughs> a big meeting. So now we're down Ron and Aaron. It's just us three now. And uh, yeah. so my for me, you know, I'll close it. People can find me, of course, at frederickvan.com, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K, van.com, or on the Twitters under the same name, Frederick Van. And I think with that, we can close the show down and say another twip is done, and it's time to take that lens cap off. 